Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Spark. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across the UK. We've got three stories for you today. All taken from our most recent night at the Exmouth Market Theatre. This first story is by Loretta Tomlinson. Uh, This story is really inappropriate because it's actually about ladies. But it's, it's my own thing. And it's when I started work, my first day at work was a long, long time ago, in 1970, when things were quite different. And I worked for the Queen's milliner. So she made the hats for, for the Queen at that time. She was the sort of Philip Tracy of, of the time. And I got this amazing job by just answering an ad in in the paper, and it said, are you interested in fashion? Can you speak French? And um, are you okay with other people? So I thought, well, at least (laughs) I've I've done my French A-level, so that's one out of three, so that's fine. And I wrote a letter, and then I got a letter straight back saying, we would like you to come and work for us because we like your handwriting. So I thought, oh, well, that's, that's okay. So I went along expecting to find a hat shop. And it wasn't a hat shop, it was a house. It was a big house. It was just off Belgrave Square, one of these enormous sort of early Victorian houses, six floors, huge rooms, enormous door, the whole sort of thing. And inside, it was not allowed to be a hat shop because that particular area is so, so sort of high-end that that shops lower the tone altogether. But there were hats everywhere. You'd you'd go in in, into the sort of room, main room, and there were hats on the chairs and on the tables and on the wall lights, and there were sort of carved statues, and there were hats all over them. It was just one big hat explosion. And the the woman who ran it, the actual milliner, was French. She was terribly chic and very elegant and very, very um, um, sort of, how can I say this, sort of exuberant, really. Things got to her a bit every now and then. And so she told me my, my sort of duties, and she said, I'll tell you what this is now, um, but today is a very big day because we've got Princess Margaret coming. I didn't mean a huge amount to me at the time. But my duties were, basically, they were answering the phone. I didn't have anything to do with the hats, really. Answering the phone, hello, this is Belgravia, 2656. 
and I had to open the front door because the people who came for their hats obviously couldn't open the door themselves. Um, and then I'd, I'd waft them into this, into this room and, and get them to sit down. And then when Madame came in to do the hat fitting, I used to take notes. I had to take notes. I had to write down everything that was said because buying a hat was, was a sort of therapy in those days. If you were feeling a bit down or depressed, you'd go and buy a hat. It's a bit like going to the hairdressers, I suppose. You'd, you'd spend half an hour or an hour just looking at yourself in the mirror and I'd realise that everybody would, would put on a hat face after a while. And, and you, after you'd got your hat face on, you started feeling really good. You'd feel really nice. And they would, they would talk about all sorts of things, just sort of unburden themselves. And most of it, of course, was, was about emotions and relationships. So it was a bit like sort of made in Chelsea, but with hats. <laughs> and, um, and so... Madame would, would listen, and she was a very, very good listener, but she, was, she had a terrible memory. And so I would write it down, and this is Lady Thing, or this is, you know, the Duchess of That, or Viscountess Horse, you know, and, <laughs> ah, and, and my husband, I think, is having an affair with a nanny, and, um, or my husband is having an affair with Lady Thing, and her husband is having an affair with... The horse, or, or you know, the, or the, the nanny is having an affair with all of them. So I would write all that down. And then the other thing I had to do was to deliver the hats. I would have to go outside with the hat in a hat box and hold up the hat box and hold up my hand and call a taxi and just say, Cheney Walk, please, or Tight Street, or Buckingham Palace, because a lot of the hats did go to the Queen. And I never actually met the Queen. But, to get back to the beginning of this story, Princess Margaret was coming. It was the first day, and it was so exciting. Uh, because Princess Margaret then, she was like a sort of celebrity with an affair. She was obviously the Queen's sister, but she'd had an affair with a young man, and she had parties on a tropical island. And, and also, she was really, really difficult. She was just such a, a cow, really, a lot of the time. But she was a big spender, so Madame really wanted her to buy some hats and be a sort of regular hattie. Um, and and the, the place was in uproar because the cleaner who'd been cleaning this amazing house had given in her notice on Friday, and, and so everybody was rushing around. And the main duty of the cleaner, which is probably why she left, was to clean the plant. There was an enormous Swiss cheese plant as you went in. It was vast and it had these huge leaves with sort of holes in and things. It looked like Swiss cheese. And so Madame said, I know this is your first day, but could you clean the plant? And the way you would clean the plant was to get a saucer of milk and some, um, some cotton wool balls. And then you'd dip the, the cotton wool in, in the milk and then rub the leaves and then wipe it off with, with another bit of cotton wool. Horrible job, horrible, disgusting, sticky, vile job. And I'm very, very mal-coordinated. I'm terribly clumsy. So, so I had this milk, and milk went all over me, and I had dust in my hair and, and all this sort of thing. And we'd, we'd been told that it was really important not to insult Princess Margaret in any way because she, she was very, very prone to sort of taking the wrong end of the stick and getting very cross. And a woman walked in into the front door, which was... 
pretty much unheard of. And, and it was obviously the replacement cleaner. And she'd come in and she had a fag out of one side of her mouth and sort of ill-fitting coat and, and wreck. She'd obviously had a very hard night the night before. <laughs> and I thought, hell, you know, what is Princess Mara going to say when you've got cleaner in the same hall as you? So I said, look... You're late. I knew you were expected earlier, but you're a cleaner, so why don't you clean this plant? So she looked a bit sort of surprised, and I said, well, here's the milk, and here's the cotton wool balls, and, and you're a bit short, aren't you? So why don't you stand on this stool, and then you can sort of reach up there? And she smiled, and I went to open the door to see if Princess Margaret was, was there anywhere, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw Madame come in, and she swooped down to the floor in a full curtsy and said to this little woman, Your Royal Highness, Princess Margaret, welcome. That was Loretta. This next story is by Sarah Bonetto. When I was about 13, 14 years of age, I had a really formative experience. I was invited to go to my first ever dance. Uh, my high school was having a uh, formal and it was a Catholic girls' school and we were going to be like sort of paired up with the local Catholic boys' school. Now, it was very exciting. I knew that there was something of import about this occasion, but, and we're going to use the term tomboy again tonight, and I'm not really sure if that's an okay term anymore, but that's what it was called in my time. Um, I was one of them. I sort of had like a spray of freckles and two blonde plaits, and I was much happier climbing trees or in a sandpit than I was worrying about ball gowns for dancers or makeup or high heels. You know, that was, and I, and I think I feel like I should ask because I feel like I'm amongst like minds here who here was happier climbing trees <laughs> give me a rave that's you I can't hear you okay who here was happier in sandpits <laughs> okay a few sandpits um, so I'm going to assume anyone who didn't yell out like you maybe you um, sir were happier in um, ball gowns and makeup so it's fine um, I, but I do I feel like I'm amongst my people here um, I didn't really care about that sort of thing but my mum and my auntie said to me oh Sarah you're to have your first ever ball gown and I thought oh okay cool yeah so they took me to my small Australian village's fanciest uh, dress shop and by that I mean my small Australian village's only dress shop (laughs) and by that I mean my small Australian town's only dress shop and that is called Kmart. So it wasn't like, it was, yeah, yeah. So I found myself that following Saturday afternoon in the fitting rooms at this dress store. And I could hear my mum and my auntie just outside the door of the fitting room in the sort of main part of the shop. And then we're knocking on the door going, Sarah, have you got it on yet? Come on, give us a look. I bet you look beautiful. And I knew at the volume with which they were yelling, the whole store would be looking. And I was standing there going, oh, no, I'm not being good at this. I was struggling with the zips. I was sort of trying to arrange the straps. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I eventually tentatively opened the door into the dress shop. And sure enough, everybody 
turned around. People in other departments, you know, like it was almost as if there was an announcement over the, the shop intercom, you know, she's coming out now, she's coming out now. Anyway, I took a tentative step out onto the floor of the shop and my mum and my auntie went, oh, Sarah, don't you look beautiful? And I sort of blushed and I looked at my shoes and then my auntie said, oh, she's really got the Bonetto body. Which, <laughs> I didn't know what that was. <laughs> and it was really brilliant because you could see other people further down in the shop, like an old random guy just going, oh yeah. And you're like, you don't even know what that is. <laughs> but sure enough, my mother illuminated me because within about four seconds, as I was going, oh, thanks, thanks. My mum went, oh, what your auntie means by the Bonetto body is all your heights in your midsection. You've got these little tiny legs. <laughs> That's the Bonetto body. <laughs> and it's funny, isn't it? Like how much things will leave an impression on you for the rest of your life, especially at a really in important age, like, you know, early teens. And I was like looking down at myself, just going, oh, okay. And she's like, yeah, no, seriously, all your height there's in your trunk. Yeah. And I was like, okay, all right. And you're really stumpy the legs are, aren't they? Quite, I'm all right, stumpy. My own mother. And it's sad, right, because I have carried this through the rest of my life because... I mean, while I didn't really care about dresses or makeup or hair, all of a sudden that stuff became important. And I suppose in my life, like in my lifetime, there's no like femme fatales in film noirs, you know what I mean? With like a long trunk, are there? Like, <laughs> no, you know? And knew the dame was trouble from the moment she walked in the room, trunk first. Like no one, uh, there's no songs for my people, you know? She's got trunk, she knows how to use it. No. No one ever talks about trunky blondes, do they? <laughs> But it's funny because as a kid, as a little girl, as a little human being, uh, I don't really care about that kind of stuff. When I got into my teenage years, um, I distinctly remember uh, a girl at my school, and I'm going to call her Susie Peterson because it's quite similar to her name. <laughs> I remember she walked into the playground and she announced to us all, we were about 11, 12 at the time, and she said... Um, everybody, everybody, um, we want to talk about popularity. I just stick, like, this sounds like I've made it up. Genuinely, that's what she said. And we went, what's popularity? And she said, well, um, it's about, like, Reeboks. If you haven't got them, you're, that's basically going to be really hard for you from now on. Um, and, like, the top you should be wearing is by Esprit. Esprit was the brand name that... <laughs> I know, like, there's a shop in Oxford Street in London, but that in, like, when I was in primary school in Australia, that was, like, the brand. And, uh, and I remember going, oh, okay, right, fine. And there was this one little girl called Anna, and I remember that she put up her hand and she's like, but why do we have to have Reeboks and an Esprit T-shirt? And that little girl, Anna, was ostracised from birthday parties for four years. So, like, everyone was like, whoa, don't want to be Anna. Shut the hell up. <laughs> it's hard. But I remember as a little kid, right, all I ever wanted was walkie-talkies and remote-controlled cars. And my little... I know, right, there's a flutter of recognition amongst the people in the audience, boys and girls, right? And my brothers got them. And I got, like, look, they were lovely presents. They were, like, doll's houses or strawberry shortcake dolls. You know, you rub her and she smells of strawberries. Great. But, like, what I did with those dolls was I made them hold my brother's walkie-talkies. And then, like, I'm like, yeah, incorporating, like, or they were driving the remote-controlled car because I just wanted to be, you know, in that world. And then this crossed over to like later teenage years. Um, 
I remember Susie Peterson and all the people at school were saying, well, Sarah, you haven't really said yet who you like. And I was like, what do you mean? They go, you know, your pinup. And I was like, well, uh, I don't know, what do you mean? And they were like, well, you know, like we've all got pictures of boys from Smash Hits magazine stuck in our locker, but you don't have one. And like one girl had River Phoenix and someone else, I'm dating myself. <laughs> oh, he was dead for 10 years by now, guys. No. <laughs> Uh, and uh, they said, you don't have one. What's wrong with you? And I remember going, oh, no, oh, no, there's something wrong with me if I don't like a boy. So I uh, went and I sat down at lunch break and I went through some Smash Hits magazine um, and I just picked a random guy. This is actually how it happened. Uh, and he was called John Stamos. Uh, <laughs> a few people remember John Stamos. And I just faked it. I was like, oh, my God, I love John Stamos. And they were like, wow, Sarah's picked her guy. And then I cut out every picture and then I made my mum buy stuff on the weekends in the local sort of corner shops. Like, oh, I've got this magazine. It's got a photo poster. It's John Stamos. And then I started, like, recording movies on TV and I started, like, watching all his TV shows and I started, like, mimicking him at school and everyone was like, good, good. Sarah's got a guy that she likes. And it was all faked. I've seen my primary school diaries and I'm writing, I love John Stamos. And I'd like worked out the percentage of our names, you know, like our love percentage. And again, there's recognition in the audience. People go, I used to do that, right? It was 67%. That's not even enough. Like, you don't, anyway. (laughs) Just totally faked it. Um, So what's really interesting, okay, is I kind of just went along with it and I just did what I was instructed to do by the Reeboks put the pinups in the the school locker, go, oh, my God, John Stamos. Um, And also he played the the djembes or bongos, depending, um, uh, in the Beach Boys Kokomo video, uh, guys, and I used to sing that all the time at school just to prove I was really into him. Now, (sighs) years passed, and after university I entered a comedy competition in Australia. And what's really interesting about stand-up comedy, you all know this, it's a very male-dominated industry, it's very blokey, it's very laddish, there's a lot of drinking, a lot of late nights, a lot of travelling alone. It can be a little bit scary for women, especially alone. Um, it can be quite sexually threatening, can be, and also you can have a lot of great friends. But it is ostensibly a very unladylike profession, right? I was always told, don't swear, ladies don't swear, you know, that sort of thing. And all of a sudden I had a microphone, which, guys, is tantamount to walkie-talkies. It's better. <laughs> you can't talk back to me and interrupt me. You can't. <laughs> so... All of a sudden, I'm in this profession where I'm allowed to do what I like and I'm allowed to be unladylike. Now, every fringe festival you perform at in Australia or over here, there will be, uh, and it's very boring, and I know that there's another performer I work with here who's a a comedian who happens to be a woman. That's what I call it. Um, And this is a boring topic of conversation because it comes up all the time um, about women in comedy. Are women as funny as men? Blah, blah, blah. This horrible, boring thing. You would never dream of saying, are ginger people as funny as other people? You know, like, are black people as funny as... Wow! Like, it's just abhorrent. What a ridiculous suggestion. It is a vagina, not a genre. So... (laughs) But it comes up every year. And one year uh, at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, they approached a bunch of uh, women who happened to be stand-ups, stand-ups who happened to be women, and said, will you come and do this photo call? Uh, 
and uh, you know, like uh, we're going to put up this huge publication in this you know broadsheet newspaper and say that you stand up against all these sort of allegations. And we did. And at the end of the photo shoot uh, that went on to be in this national newspaper, they said, any any sort of statements you want to make about people who say this about women? And I thought about it. And a lot of the other women gave their their thoughts again. <laughs> and I thought, nah. I'm done, man. I'm done. Just get on with it. Just do the fucking job. And everyone else should too. Just do the jokes, write the material, do the shows, get on with it. You don't have to prove anything. So I said, no, no, that's fine. I can't be bothered really. And they said, are you sure? You don't want to like say anything against these allegations? I was like, no, I can't be bothered really. Because I sort of had this plan and this is what I have been doing ever since then. I don't really speak out against it because it's fucking tedious and there's a hundred exceptions to that stupid myth Sarah Kendall, Sarah Millican, Celia Pocola, lots of great, amazing stand-up comedians. Um, What I like to do on my humble level and my shows wherever I'm appearing is whenever I'm hosting a show like the marvellous Charlie Harrison is here tonight, what I like to do is I will say, next up we've got an amazing comedian, Charlie Harrison, woo, bring her on, and everyone will clap. And then later on, and almost no one will notice that I'm doing this, I will say... Please welcome to the stage your next fantastic male comedian, Russell Kane. <laughs> and those in the room who know go, oh, that's good. Because if there has to be the term female comedian, this stupid qualifier, because fuck you, I'm a comedian, right? Then there will also be the qualifier male comedian. So um, I would really beg of you guys tonight, if you do see a male comedian soon, give him all your support because he really does need all the help he can get. Oh, he's trying so hard. They really are wonderful and it's great because like finally they get a voice you know (laughs) we've been waiting so long um my name is Sarah Bonetto I am a comedian um it's lovely to meet you all have a wonderful evening good night selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Our last story today is by Jojo Georgie. I'm going to tell you the story about the best summer of my life. Okay, you guys ready for that? Now, I was a tomboy, and I have a twin sister. She was not. She was a very girly girl. She used to dress up as princesses. She used to play with Barbie dolls. Very girly. I dressed up as Rambo. and would shove firecrackers up her Barbie dolls and execute them for crimes against humanity. This is a true story. Now, one day I got bored, which is a bad thing for a child with explosives and, you know, bad attitude to life already. So I got bored. I decided to make up a new game, fantastic game, called Catch the Axe. This is a brilliant game. I don't know why it hasn't caught on. It's fantastic. Now, my twin sister came into view, and I said, heads up, and I tossed the axe. Now, in hindsight, I might should have told her we were playing this game. <laughs> because it landed, and I'm telling you, landed right between her feet, right on both of her big toes, cutting them both off. A million and one shot. I have never been able to duplicate that since. And I have tried. Now, my sister... Both of her toes are cut off. This was very traumatic for me because I had to hold these disgusting, gnarly toes all the way to the hospital. I did. It was disgusting. It really, I was in, it was horrible. It was very traumatic for me. <laughs> Gagging. Don't like blood. You know, body parts are okay, but no blood is fine. So they sewed her toes back on. They wrapped her feet in. Yes, they did. They put them back on. But I swear to you, they put their toes on the wrong feet. I swear. <laughs> She has got Frankenstein feet to this day. She cannot, she cannot wear flip-flops or open-toed shoes because her toes, seriously, it's disgusting. It's horrible. She shouldn't be allowed out in public with those feet. It's disgusting. So they, 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 they sew her toes back on and they put them in the cast. Okay, so I got in trouble. I was grounded for a few days, but I got out. I know how to get out. I know how to pick locks. Come on, I get out. I got bored. I came up with a new game. Catch the hammer. Again, I don't know why this game has not caught on because it is a fantastic game. So my sister hobbles in, feet in a cast. She looks at me and I go, heads up. Again, I should have told her I didn't. The hammer hits her right here, smack. Blood's gushing out. Both of her eyes are going in different directions. Another million and one shot. I've tried. I can't duplicate. I've tried. I'm freaking out now because she's got this gash on her forehead. Her eyes are going in different directions. She's drooling. And I'm freaking out and I'm thinking, okay, I can fix this before my mom gets home. I have the medical training. If I can blow up a Barbie doll, I can fix my sister, right? So I go into the house and I grab my mother's 
maxi pads. You know the ones I'm talking These are the old fashioned ones that feel like you're wearing a pillow between your legs, these big old, big ones. And I try to stick it to her forehead, but it won't stay. Medical training kicks in at seven years old. This is good stuff. I go get duct tape. And I wrap that duct tape around her head, smash it into her eyebrows, put it this way, that way, this way, that way. It's there. It's good. She's healed, right? No. So I lean her up against the wall, because I figure she can't get into too much trouble there, right? A few hours later, my mom comes home, pulls up, and there's my sister leaning up against the wall, both of her feet in a cast. She's drooling. Her eyes are going in different directions. She's got a giant metal head with a giant bloody cotex on her forehead. And there's a fish hook in her mouth. Now, I don't know how the fish hook got there. But I know there was a medical necessity for that fish hook. I'm, I'm thinking it probably helped me pull her up at one point or something. I don't know. <laughs> so my mom, of course, immediately assumed it was me. I don't know why. So we go back to the hospital where, you know, they clip the fish hook and gently pull that out, and they try for an hour to get the duct tape off. But I did a really good job <laughs> of putting that duct tape on her. So when they peeled it off, basically they waxed her eyebrows, just took those mad boys right off, gave her a reverse mohawk. It was a good look on somebody, not her, because... <laughs> She was really fugly at this point with her toes on the wrong feet, fish hook in her mouth, a big gash here, no eyebrows. It was not a good look for her. And the doctor asked my mom, now, are, have you tried holy water? Are you sure there's not a prestigial penis there? I went home and looked that motherfucking word up. I don't have a tell either, bastard. But this was the best summer of my life because after this, my mother decided the only way to keep my twin sister alive was to send me away to camp, which was awesome because what I did was I rode horses all summer. I canoed, I fished, and I led the girls' camp on raids nightly to the boys' camp where we would tie them up and terrorize them and poke them with sticks and explode anything that wasn't tied down because, you know, that's what I did in Texas. That's a, I was not a girly girl. But I think that it was good because, you know, I learned how to make small explosives. I mean, anyone else can do that? I know what to do in an emergency if somebody doesn't catch the fucking hatchet. You know, come on! Another really good thing is, like, really quick, real, before I run off here on that story, is um, spiders. Is anybody scared of spiders? They're horrible, aren't they? See, I'm not a girly girl, but I am fucking shit scared of spiders. See, I found out in Dallas they don't like it when you shoot at spiders. And this is a true story. They really don't. They get pissed. They really do. They get pissed. But I found out, because years earlier, my twin sister had caught a live tarantula. Now, what happened was this motherfucker had landed on my foot, and I kicked it up in the air. And she goes hobbling like this, because she still has the fucked up feet. They really are. And catches this bad boy. Now, she's not scared of spiders, and I've literally made her life a living hell for the past 12 years. Seriously. Because I kept that, that reverse mohawk going for years. I Just shaving it every night, it was just something to do, and I liked the look, and I was bored, and she ran out of Barbie dolls, and my mother took the firecrackers away, so I had to do something to keep myself happy. She, she, look, she's had a lot of therapy. She's okay. Ish. 
ish. I'm going to go ish. But she kept the spider in the house. Now, I'm terrified of spiders. So, and so is my older brother. My brother is terrified. So we hatched a plan to get rid of the spider. We went to the store, and we bought bug spray, poison. Now, my sister kept the spider in the living room in a terrarium. Y'all know what those are? Big glass cages. And all you can do is see the evil fucking spider staring at you, plotting its revenge. It's coming after you. It's going to kill you. You know what I'm saying? So my brother and I go and we buy five cans of bug spray. Five. We're thinking one's going to do this trick. We empty the entire can. The spider is still alive. Second can. That spider is now pissed off, but still alive. Third can. Now it's bouncing up and down. I'm having to hold the lid on. I'm screaming in place. Ah! Trying to kill this fucking mutant spider from hell that won't die. Five cans. You cannot see inside the terrarium anymore. All you see is poison and the thing is going up and down. I'm shitting myself terrified. We hatched a plan because we were clever. We decided to take the spider and give it to the Air Force. I don't know why. Okay. From our house, what we did is we took the spider in the terrarium and we walked down the, the road and there was a cliff and on the other side was the, was the Air Force Base. We threw the whole thing over. It was beautiful. It just went sailing through the air, landed, crashed. My brother and I are high-fiving each other. It's nighttime and then suddenly we hear all this noise down there. What the fuck was that? What's happening? And we look over and we can just see flashlights like, oh shit, the soldiers. And they come running up, and they're like, oh, my God, what is that? It's a spider. Oh, my God, shoot it. It's so pissed off. What the fuck? Kill it, kill it. And you can hear machine gun fire. Machine gun fire. Okay, fast forward a few years later. I'm living in Dallas alone. There's a spider in my house. I use a double-barrel shotgun to kill that motherfucker. And I get in trouble? That's bullshit. That's, that's how I am not a lady. Thank you very much. My name is Jojo Georgie. Thank you very much for supporting live theater. Thank you. On the 26th of November, Spark celebrates eight glorious years of storytelling. Join us for fun and festivities at the Exmouth Market Theatre. Full details at stories.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.